Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Hello everyone, I'm C.P. Leslie, the host of New Books and Historical Fiction, a podcast channel in the New Books Network. Today I'm speaking with Linnea Hartsacker about The Golden Wolf, the third and last of her trilogy, The Golden Wolf Saga, set in 9th century Norway. This is an epic about the Vikings from their own point of view, based on stories from the Heimskringla and of Linnea's own ancestors. I first talked with Linnea in 2017 when the first novel in her series, The Half-Drowned King, came out. In 2018, we exchanged questions and answers on my blog in a written interview about the Sea Queen, second in the Golden Bull Saga, an exchange that also appears in the extra section of the paperback version of that book. So do look for those earlier conversations as well. And now, from book three. Freyda Salvestater sat on a rowing bench near the ship's stern, with a warp of her weaving tied to her belt, and the other end tied around a broken oar. She had chosen a simple pattern to work while sailing. The pitching of the ship and the yelling of the sailors was too distracting for anything more complicated. Her companion distracted her, too. Dodo was the daughter of Aldi Atteson, the steward of Son, close in age to Freydis's fourteen years, but far different in temperament. "'Is the pilot not handsome?' Dota asked Freydis. And when Freydis did not answer, she continued, "'He is young to be a pilot. Usually they are grizzled old men. But you must be used to far handsomer men in Tafjord. They say the King Ranvald's sons are even better looking than Harald's sons, though I find that hard to believe. Gudrod Harald's son vis- visited Son last summer, and he is as pretty as a woman. What do you think? Which is the handsomest?' Freda saw a mistake in her simple weaving pattern and had to take out a few lines of weft. King Ranvald's son Einar, she said quietly. He was the eldest of King Ranvald's sons, a warrior and poet, with a severe kind of beauty that Freydis could hardly look upon without blushing. He was said to prefer boys and ignored most of Tafjord's girls, but he had always been kind to Freydis, and she often wished she could be more like him, strong and untouchable. And now, please join me in welcoming Linnea Hartsacker. Hi, Linnea. I'm really looking forward to talking with you again. Hi. Nice to speak with you again. We discussed your path toward becoming a writer in our previous interview, as uh, well as talking about The Half-Drowned King and the trilogy in more depth. Listeners can hear that by going to newbooksnetwork.com and searching for your name. But since this is a trilogy where each novel builds on those that came before, could you summarize the first book without giving away spoilers? I will do my best. There's always going to be a little bit of spoilers. Um, But the first book, The Half-Drowned King, is about a brother and sister in uh, Viking Age Norway. So that's around the year um, 850-860 of the Common Era. Uh, We first meet Ronvald, the brother, on his way back from a raiding trip to Ireland when his um, his captain, Solvi, 
uh, tries to murder him and ends up throwing him into the fjord where he nearly drowns. And while he is nearly drowning, he has a vision of a golden wolf um, that sort of sets the, the trajectory of his entire life. Um, and then meanwhile, we meet his sister, Sonhild, who is, it may be forced into marriage with um, a man that she doesn't want. And so while Ronvald tries to figure out why his captain tried to kill him and eventually discovers that it's um, a plot from his, uh, his stepfather who's trying to take his birthright, uh, Sonhild escapes that same stepfather into a life of adventure. But that adventure will put her on the opposite side of a battle for Norway's future from her brother Ronvald. Um, so I could do more, but I really I don't want to spoil too much because I think hopefully some listeners have, will not have read The Half John King. And while I do hope that all three books in the trilogy can stand on their own, it's probably better to read it from the beginning. I think that's great. Yes, don't tell us any more, but do give us a very brief synopsis of The Sea Queen in the sense of what do readers who are starting into The Golden Wolf need to know or remember if they're to understand the new book? Well, I, without, again, without giving away too much at all, the, um, the Sea Queen takes place uh, about six years after the Half-Drowned King when things have moved on for our characters and they are into their marriages and beginning to have children and um, kind of getting into their adulthood and adult responsibilities more than they were in, um, in the Half-Drowned King where they're teenagers. And then in The Golden Wolf, it's 14 years after the end of The Sea Queen. So um, while some things have remained the same from the end of The Sea Queen, I don't think any marriages have, have split up when there have not been any new, very important marriages. Um, our characters have aged quite a bit, and now their children are, um, are growing into adulthood. Yeah, talk a little bit about that part. Um, the main characters from the first two novels, Ronvald, Sonhild, and King Harold the Fair-Haired, who is the golden wolf of the title and of the, you know, of the series, uh, they're certainly front and center. But how has old age or middle age, um, we're talking about the ninth century, so there's not too much difference there. Um, how has that ha- changed how has it affected them? Not changed them so much in changing their personalities, but how has it affected them? That was really fun to think about how different the, those ages would be in the ninth century uh, than they are today. Because you know, I think Sonhild would be about thirty-six and Ronvald forty, which is my age um, in the Golden Wolf. But they're both they both have uh, nearly adult children and. Um, and especially Ronvald has faced a lot of injury from battle in his, uh, his years of fighting. And, and living just would have been a lot more rough on people then. And I find even myself now at 40, I have to warm up a lot longer in the gym before I can do anything really athletic. So kind of multiplying that out by, by years of battle and injuries that never fully healed. Um, Ronvald especially is really facing his mortality and what, um, what it will mean for his future when he can't fight anymore, um, when he has to give that over to his son. Um, whereas Sonhold, I think, has become just a lot more rigid um, over the years, which is something that I also think can, um, you know, happens, can happen to people as they grow 
I won't say old, but older. And she has not had a lot of people sort of gainsaying her um, in the last 14 years. And I tried to show the effect of that on her personality. And King Harold? I'm King Harold. Um, Sometimes I think of him as almost more of a weather phenomenon in the novel than a, a character because he he's a little bit unchangeable, I think, even more than the other two. You know, life goes extremely well for him most of the time. And so um, I think his main problem is that he doesn't really understand that time is passing and that things aren't going to always stay the same. And he's kind of unwilling to give up being the, you know, young rash warrior of his youth, even when politically it makes sense for him to do so. That's a great point. Um, so more generally, how about their relationships with uh, each other, these three characters? Have those changed as a result of their experiences since we last met them in the Sea Queen? Well, since we last met them in the Sea Queen, um, Ronvald and Svanhild have kind of become two of Harold's most important um, deputies, I guess, for the, the ruling of Norway. And though, I, mean, I sort of, one of the, my regrets about this book is just because I had to have so much time pass to get to the, the points of this book that I wanted to have happen. Um, I didn't get to show as much as I would like of their, their, them working together. That mostly happens in flashback and memory. But in some ways, though, they've experienced a lot of tragedies to get there. The intervening years before the Golden Wolf are a time when, um, when Bronvald really felt like his sister, he and his sister were working as a team together on Harold's behalf. For reasons explained in part in the earlier novels, um, but definitely built up here, each of these main characters has had children with multiple partners. Um, some of the relationships were marital, other not, some romantic or passionate, others practical. Many started out as one thing, as relationships do, and then turn into something else. Um, so you have a network of overlapping relationships, kids, uh, large cast. How did you juggle so many characters, and do you have favorites among them? I definitely have favorites. Uh, one of my, and one of the really fun things about writing about this group of characters at this period of time is that is trying to think about what what polygamy would mean to um, relationships between children and what um, and what you know, concubinage would have meant. So uh, noblemen would often have more than one wife and also concubines, and so there would be these complex interrelationships uh, between the children. But also we don't quite have the idea of, because they're pagan and it's not Christian marriage, um, there isn't quite as much of the idea of a child being um, a, a bastard or not. And still parents would have uh, favorites. And up until very recently, it was, um, much more common for parents to have overtly favorite children and not be afraid to tell everyone about that fact. Uh, so all of those things play into very complicated relationships. And it was a bit of a challenge, especially because King Harold has so many sons. And um, in some cases, they become more of a problem, at least in the sources, they become more of a problem in the aggregate than they do individually. And kind of how to, to give them all distinct personalities, even if they don't get much screen time and um, or time on the page, was definitely a challenge. Uh, but it was also really fun to think about what kind of children Ron Bald and Svanhild would have, because while I love them both dearly, they are also very challenging people. And um, so the two main 
child characters you know, growing into adulthood that I follow are Freydis, who is uh, Svanhild's daughter, and um, Einar, who is Ronvald's oldest son, but um, his son by a concubine who he ended up hating later. And so, so they're very complicated relationships with these two children and trying to think about what it would be like to have a mother like Svanhild, what it would be like to have a father like Ronvald, and... Um, was was really fun and fascinating. And one of the great things about writing a family saga like this is I didn't feel like I had to explain too much about how Freitas would have turned out the way she did with a mother like Svanhild. And now that people have uh, grown to know Svanhild, hopefully it is quite obvious why um, that would happen. Because Freitas is quite a bit more, um, is at least especially when she starts off the novel, she's a lot more shy and um, and lacking confidence, and that comes from her relationship with her her very confident, storied, famous mother. Yes. Uh, tell us what's happening to Freitas at the very beginning of the novel, because the book actually opens with her. It does, yeah. The book opens with Freitas on a, um, a boat journey to to go see Harold get married when it is interrupted by... Um, by people that she originally initially thinks are raiders, but turn out to be her cousins, um, Halbjorn and uh, Roly. Uh, Roly is one of Ronald's sons, and Halbjorn's sort of a, a very complicated like family tree situation, not actually related to her, but kind of a step cousin. Um, and they they take her from her journey and set her on a totally different path. And through the two of them, we see sort of a microcosm of some of the stresses in um, in Norway, because both Halbjorn, who is um, Ronvald's stepbrother, doesn't feel like he has a place, and even Ronvald's youngest son, Roly, doesn't necessarily feel like he has a place in uh, Norway. Yes, um, I actually loved the polygamy aspect of it, because, you know, I had a great deal of fun with it, with my Tatars as well, wondering what it would be like, you know, to be the eldest son, but not the favorite son and not the son of the right mother and all that kind of thing. And in terms of writing a novel, it it adds so many other dimensions. And I have to think that it would be, I mean, and I try to portray it as sometimes it's positive, sometimes it's negative, and sometimes it's very, and almost all the time, it's very complicated to, um, to share a husband uh, for the wives. And it's complicated for a, um, for a husband to sort of manage the emotions of more than one uh, wife or concubine. And yeah, no, it was, it was extremely fun as a writer. And I'm sure that it had many different um, expressions when it was actually happening. So Randvold has several uh, sons uh, besides Roly, including Einar, whom you've mentioned. And I don't know if you say Ivar or Ivar. In my head, I've been saying Ivar. I think there are multiple pronunciations. Okay, so Einar and Ivar, that makes it easier to keep them straight anyway. (laughs) So they're half-brothers, but they have a unique bond. So please let us know how you think of them as individual personalities and their relationship. Um, I wanted their bond to be uh, really important to the novel and um, for reasons which I'm sure now that you've finished reading the novel, you understand why. and I wanted there to be friction between um, Ron Falls and Einar. And so I made Einar someone who is um, 
extremely talented and way too much like Ronvald for uh, comfort, especially because Ronvald had an idea from before Ivar's birth that his he would have a son who he would name after his grandfather, Ivar, who was also a king, who would become king again and kind of erase some of the shame of their family losing their kingdom. And so he has this idea in his head about who Ivar is going to be, but it doesn't, children don't always work out exactly the way that you think they're going to. And then instead of um, too much jealousy between Einar and Ivar, um, because Ivar is the favored, but Einar is probably the one with more talent, I made them um, have an extremely close and loving relationship. And so, so that, yeah, those are some of the things that I wanted coming into the novel so that then when various events took place, those relationships would be tested and stressed. Tell us a little bit more actually about Ranvald as a character for people who may not have encountered him in the earlier books. You mentioned something about Svanhild and the challenges that she poses for her daughter. But um, what about Ranvald? Ranvald, I kind of, I, um, I think of him as a kind of a, a perfectionist Viking. He doesn't have much of a sense of humor and that is to his detriment. And he is always right. Not, I mean, not always right. He makes some bad decisions, but, um, but he is right far too often for everyone else's comfort. And I don't think he feels very comfortable with himself either. So in many ways, he's a challenging character um, to like, although I do love him. He can be quite rigid, uh, and that comes from his desires for the future, but also um, and his shame about the past. But then also just like the troubles of being a man in a very masculine, martial environment. In some ways, while the women have much less uh, freedom of how they can live their lives, I think they have more freedom in terms of expressing their personalities sometimes. And that becomes a bit of a trap for Ron Bolt. And then he's also more cautious in many ways than his sister, Sonhild. She's kind of the adventurous, um, charting her own path. And he thinks much more before he speaks. Uh, when I was writing the two of them, oftentimes they would have similar thoughts in any given situation, but Sonhild would say hers out loud and Ronvald would keep his to himself and figure out a, a time later to express himself in a way that would do to himself the most good. Yes, I think that's an important contrast. And it's very tempting now to think that because, you know, most societies at in the ninth, 10th century, and even now, are patriarchal, that men therefore had more freedom. I mean, in some ways they did, they called the shots, they could, you know, control what was done when, but they didn't have freedom in terms of who they wanted to be in the same sense. I mean, if you didn't want to be a warrior, you would be in pretty rough shape. Yeah, the ways to be a man were very circumscribed, um, especially to the ways to be a warrior. Ranvald has a healthy group of sons, but King Harold has far outdone him. He has managed to have uh, at least 20, um, and there are six wives uh, listed for him in your cast of characters. Um, I can't tell you how grateful I was for the cast of characters. <laughs> um, one of the wives is Svanhild, um, but the one I would like to bring up at the moment is Gida. Is that how you would pronounce it? Yes. Yeah. You'd think the last thing Harold needs uh, was yet another wife, but here he is at the beginning sending Einar and Ivar to bring her to him. So what's going on there? Who is she and how does she feel about this marriage? Well, in general, Harold seems to have this idea that if he married a woman from every district in Norway, he would end up ruling every district in Norway. And he did have this ambition to 
sort of marry his wives from noble families in each district and then send the wives home with their sons to be reared up to be the kings of those districts. I'm sure that the listeners can think very quickly of all the things that might be uh, troublesome about that from a political point of view, but that was what he was trying to do. Um, Gita is a special case, though. We meet her in uh, books, in the first book, in The half John King, and she was actually the character that attracted me to writing this whole story the, the very first time I heard of her when I was in my teens. And she makes Harold promise to not to cut his hair or to um, marry her until he has conquered all of Norway. And so the important thing for Harold at the beginning of this book is that he needs to marry her in order to kind of say that he has conquered all of Norway. Because especially in times of like fluid borders with only communication was um, by ship, the idea that you could conquer a large territory was sort of, was actually kind of a new idea, a larger territory than you could cover in a short period of time. And so it was really in many ways more of a propaganda idea than um, than an idea with any reality. And so from a propaganda perspective, Marian Gita at this point um, in his, his taking over of Norway is very important to him. And why does she give him this task? Is she trying to get out of the marriage or does she actually welcome it? Well, that was, the, in, yes, in uh, The half Drone King, my idea was that she gave him the task in order to buy herself um, time not being married to him. And that's when we meet her again in the beginning of the Golden Wolf. She's had 20 years to mostly rule her kingdom on her own, and she's not in any kind of big hurry to give that up. So Harold is also having trouble with his sons, um, even more than Ranvald. Uh, In particular, he has a son named Halfdan, who is in open rebellion against him, although Harold doesn't always seem to believe that. Why has Halfdan turned against his father? And what are the consequences of that for Ranvald? I'm talking about consequences at the beginning of the book, not at the end. Yeah, Halfdan's uh, rebellion is kind of going on throughout the entire novel. And in the beginning of the novel, uh, Ranvald is trying to find enough evidence of it to present back to Harold so that he will believe that his son is in rebellion against him. And um, Halfdan turns against his father for pretty... I mean, for reasons I think that you see in a lot of uh, royal families throughout history, which is that he wants it to be his turn to be king, um, especially as Hassan is his first son and Harold started having sons very young. So while Harold is still a, a warrior in the prime of his life, Hassan is, um, is also a grown man at this point and getting antsy for his own amount of power. So especially, and also especially with so many sons, any one son uh, would need to prove his mettle in order to be um, become king after Harold. And so that is some of uh, Halfdan's motivation as well. And especially at this time when um, kings wouldn't necessarily leave their kingdom to their first son, the, the nobles would have a lot of say over who would be king next. Sometimes um, Kings would split up their kingdoms between their sons, which would lead to kingdom splintering and or fratricide. Um, so there's a lot riding on Halfdan kind of coming into his power and uh, projecting it. And so even though he's a little bit of a villain of the story, I wanted him to have a, an understandable motivation. Well, I think he's mostly a villain if you're Ranvald or Harold. I mean, <laughs> for anybody else, it's quite understandable. 
So I'm going to be deliberately vague in posing this question so that you can respond however you want without giving anything away. Um, Sophie, whom you mentioned early on, was one of my favorite characters from the first two books, and I was glad to learn more about his fate, um, which at the end of the sequin is inconclusive. Can you share anything about the role he plays in this book? So Sophie is basically, he's a, he's a disabled Viking, although he's not particularly, he's, he's found ways around his uh, disability and to still be a warrior and you know, be be a respected man in the very restrictive confines of the ways you could be a man, as we discussed earlier. Um, but he was badly burned in his um, childhood, which stunted his growth. And so um, at the beginning of this novel, he's been living with that disability for a long time, and it's starting to be something that he can't push his way through anymore. And so I really enjoyed getting to write about him trying to handle the fact that he can't necessarily live up to the ways that he, he wanted to be a warrior and a king um, the way he could in the first two books. So that's, that's pretty much all I'm going to say. But um, yeah, Sylvie's story is not over yet. And I think readers will be interested to see where it goes. The whole trilogy draws for inspiration on Old Norse tales and sagas. And we talked about this a little bit in our first interview because Harold is actually an ancestor of yours. But what can you tell us about the way that you wove folklore and literature into the trilogy as a whole and The Golden Wolf in particular? Where, Where do you stick with legends and where do you move into your own literary world? Well, one of the nice things about writing about this period of time is that there is very little written history, and even the sagas that I'm drawing from were written um, many hundreds of years later. And so I feel free to let to use the sagas as a jumping off point so that it, one could understand why they were written the way they were, even um, from the things that I have happened. But I've also taken some liberties and especially at the end of um, The Golden Wolf, there's kind of a huge amount of back and forth in all the sources that would have gotten really tiresome um, to write and and kind of several different kings of this one part of land coming into succession and then quickly dying that I really had to abbreviate just for, for space. Uh, but uh, readers can read more about that in the author's notes. Um, but I also thought about history and literature of the time in terms of what would kind of fire my character's imagination. It was a, pre, a pre-literate culture that I'm writing about, but, but certainly not a pre-storytelling culture. And so one of the fun things that I've tried to do is integrate my um, character's knowledge of, of songs and folktales and stories into their understanding of the world and to kind of use those stories deliberately. So there's times when, when people tell um, folktales for a specific emotional or political purpose. And that's kind of the way that I was able to write about these characters who, who aren't readers of books like I am, but who still have a strong love of stories. And if I were to summarize the themes of each book, I would say that The Half-Drowned King is a coming-of-age story um, for all three main characters, Randwald, Svanhild, and Harold. Uh, the Sea Queen looks at marriage, uh, its joys and its sorrows, and some of those involve young children. 
But it's the golden wolf that really tackles the issue of parenting, I think. Um, Not the details of raising children so much as the need to face one's own mortality, to accept that sons and daughters are independent human beings, um, and they may choose to carry on your legacy, they may choose not to. That's my take on it. Um, What would you say? Do you agree with that? Or did you have your own different sense of what was going on? I definitely do. And I I appreciate you putting it that way. I don't think I have much to add to that. So thank you. Okay. So we barely scratched the surface of this wonderfully rich saga. Um, But now I want to ask a question of you as its author. The trilogy's out or almost out. And um, it's done. Are you going to miss these characters? I definitely am. But I'm also glad to be finished with their stories. Um, I kind of, I knew that I was writing toward the ending of this, um, of this book since I started the very first one. And so there's something really satisfying about finally bringing it into the conclusion that I always, um, that I always imagined for them. So I will miss them. And I may at some point write about worlds that are brush up against the Viking world, but I'm also interested in writing about other periods of history and other things. So, yes and no. What would you like readers to take away from The Golden Wolf? I'm not sure. I mean, I one thing I always try to do in, um, what I've tried to do in all of these books is, is present characters dealing with a very different world than the one we're in now, but still dealing with um, with similar things to what we do now, like parenting and letting children and understanding that children are their own people who are going to make their own choices, as you said, and like things like disability and feminism and how we face various challenges, the choices we make about um, about who is going to lead us and what trade-offs we will allow uh ourselves to make for freedom versus responsibility versus safety. And so I just hope that people reading this book um, and seeing how my characters answer those questions can you know, think about how other people answer those questions and what, what relevance their choices have to their lives now. And I hope that they love my characters like I do. Are you already working on something else? I am. I have been working on some various historical fiction ideas, and but actually right now I'm working on a project that I hope will someday see the light of day, but is still in its very rough stages that is a bit more uh, magical realism and set in the modern era. So that's really fun and totally different. Thank you so much for sharing your time with us today, Linnea. It's been a great pleasure talking with you. Thank you so much, Carolyn. This has been great. And thank you for listening to our podcast. Once again, I am C.P. Leslie, the host of New Books in Historical Fiction, a podcast channel in the New Books Network. And today I've been talking with Linnea Hartzeiger about The Golden Wolf. Find out more about her at www.linneahartzeiger.com. If you enjoyed today's podcast and would like to discuss it further with me and other New Books Network listeners, please join us on Shuffle. Shuffle is an ad-free, invite-only network focused on the creative community. As NBN listeners, you can get special access to conversations with a dynamic community of writers and literary enthusiasts. Sign up by going to www.shuffle.do nbn join. Like us on Facebook, search for NB Historical Fiction. 
and follow us on Twitter at NewBooksHistFic. If you do, you'll see each time we post a new interview. You can find out more about me and my books at www.cplesley.com, where I upload expanded posts about the interviews and in general discuss history, historical fiction, and the rapidly changing publishing industry. Goodbye until my next conversation about historical fiction on the New Books Network. <laughs>